Welcome to the show, uh, Tony Clementi, known as Tony Taxis, a legend in Singapore pickup basketball community, which is how we met, leader right. of the Wu-Tang Clan, professionally director of internal audit at one of the world's largest asset managers. But most importantly, a true New Yorker, a husband, a son, and a father. Although we've met multiple times on the court over the years, I've never had a chance to truly get to know you and your stories. But you've always come across as someone who is authentic and who's willing to speak her mind. So today I'm so excited to have you on to set the scene, if I may, in broad stroke. We'll learn about your journey overcoming various adversities, including drugs, alcohol, mental illnesses, and through these things, how you've defined and followed your life's purpose. But first, let's roll the tape back to the childhood right. and learn about the beginning of Tony, Texas. So, uh, Tony, walk us through your childhood. And I know you've said many times it was crazy. Mm. So um, have no filters. Let it all out. Let us hear it. Where did you grow up and uh, what was it like? Yeah, you Go got ahead. it. McGrath, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, first and foremost, I really appreciate it. I did listen to your first two episodes, really impressed by the guests. So was like, Ooh, I'm not exactly sure I'm in that category, but I'm, I'm ready to kick it off. Um, and seriously, any question open, I'm, I'm willing to answer anything. I try to live a life that's open. It's way more comfortable to live in that space. Uh, and that's just something that happened through time. So take it back to the beginning. Um, you know, I was never a legend in any sport, uh, but no, the... The Clementi saga. So I, I will put the context in that we only know what we know. Okay, so what does that mean? My life growing up, it was normal in the sense that I didn't know any other life was available. In retrospect, as I got older and had some comparables is when I kind of found out that this wasn't normal. But growing up as a child, like, you don't really know. You know, so that's one thing. The second... Um, there's going to be some talk about my family and parents, and I feel bad saying this stuff now because, you know, we exploded at one point, which I'll get into, but we've kind of come back together. Like, so it, I feel bad saying things now because I, I know as an adult, they genuinely did their best. Like my mother is staying with me right now. She's with me for two months. My dad's been here. Like, we do the best we can, um, and where I try to suss out as an adult is being realistic with what happened and not minimizing the effect it had on me, but at the same time understanding people are human. And that's gonna be a theme, not intentional, but like kind of put things in context. Nothing's that simple. I wish it was. I wish, oh, F these people, that would be so much easier. It's not like that. So growing up, it was odd, okay? So I'm speaking as an adult now, trying to remember child's memories, which we all know are not exact, okay? So growing up, I will say that I have a mother and a father, a brother and a sister. Okay. My father comes from one of nine kids, my mother from one of six. So big families. Okay. <clears throat> I didn't know much about their families. Like we didn't communicate in the way that I like to communicate now. So for example, and this is not just like a brag, my grandfather was a U.S. congressman in New York state, like big time, the U.S. ambassador to Chile, a semi-professional baseball player, second right light heavyweight in the country. Now, he died when my father was 19. I never heard a word about him until I got older. And then all these stories pop up. I'm like, who is this guy? That was him, right? I wish I would have met him. So that's the kind of thing that, like, many families might be proud of or communicate with. But my dad does not speak. The man doesn't speak. 
he doesn't speak. So then you have my mother who, in her mind, was trying to kind of play both roles. So you live in a house. What do you do as a kid? You wake up when you're of school age. You go to school. You come home. You go about the day. But everything was just odd in the house. Like, for example, we were, like, disciplined thoroughly, okay, from a young age. Now, on one hand, like, this this stuff would be illegal today. Like, big problem. Like, my mother and it may have been illegal then, frankly, but I don't know. So it was more like, you know, she was incredibly strict with things. So I had this mother who was just loud and there and all over the place. We weren't poor, but like in our neighborhood, we had less stuff than everybody else. Like if you had Fruit Loops, we had Boot Loops. Like there wasn't one thing in our cabinets had a label on it. Everything was this brand called No Frills, which was like the throwaways of every other brand. It's just like, so everything was like, as a kid who's kind of shy and awkward, like, Having crappy clothes, crappy food, crappy everything, it made things harder. Now, that's a minor detail. On top of that... So, where did you grow up? Where was oh, the sorry. Where does this, where's the setting? Let me start in the beginning. I grew up in Kings Park. When? That's right. What time period? 1981, was I was born. New York, Kings Park, New York. That is in Long Island. So, um, I'm a New Yorker in this state, but I'm not a New Yorker in the five borough sense of the city. I didn't that's move okay. to those boroughs until <laughs> older. So, a lot of people are like, oh, Tony's from Brooklyn. No, I'm not. I am a suburb white boy from like I lived in a nice neighborhood. So the setting is there. Beautiful school district. Very, very nice town. Um, Allegedly. Now, we moved around a lot, but that town that we settled in allegedly had like the most bars per square mile. It's funny. I've heard someone else say this uh, at the time um, in, in that area. So there was a gigantic psychiatric institution, which probably took up like 30 percent of the land mass of the town. And then everyone else was. Irish, Italian, or other, and not a lot of other. So it was just like a blue-collar working town where we grew up, right? So in this, but again, totally like, I'm going to say normal, but totally normal. Like everything perfectly fine then. But like we're going through and like it was just, it, the house was tense. Okay. Was it because of the, the relationship between your parents? So great question. There's a lot here, so yeah. we well, may have to dive around. Sure. Um, I did not hear my father speak as far as I could tell until I was like 12. I didn't know what his name was. I didn't know what he did for a living. I knew nothing. He was just a guy who came home after work, sat at the table blankly, and slept on the couch. Now, when I'm telling you my parents never slept in the same room, they never slept in the same room in the 14 years that they lived together before the divorce was finalized. Not one time. Um, I am not kidding. When I was a straight, a hundred, you know, student who was getting in trouble at school because I couldn't replicate what my father did for a living when asked, they thought I was being silly or why but I, I didn't know so I don't know about the guy that's why I don't know anything about him so he didn't speak not because of any medical conditions no or... he's he's awkward I mean my, my sister is in psychology he may be on the spectrum he might have Asperger's I don't know he can speak right you know but like he just but again my mom was so overwhelming in the house with her presence that it just like it was just that's the relationship they had the symbiosis you know what I mean so and again, she was like not playing games. So I learned very young, you get good grades, you don't get sick, you don't mess around. Like, you know, first couple of times she disciplined us, like physically. Like I'm not a guy who's enjoying that at all. So I'm like, all right, what's it gonna take? Straight A's, never get sick, don't misbehave, no problem. I'm not getting the crap kicked out of me, that's no problem. My brother, on the other hand, even to this day, he will fight you to the death. So he won't stop. So, and my mom only has one, response to that but i'm talking about physical like i don't want to get into all the details but stuff that's like movie stuff weird stuff forget about the 
you know, uh, belts and the wooden spoons. That that goes without saying, getting the crap. But I mean, like, you know, thrown in the dryer, like just stuff that you can't do this kind of stuff. It's not acceptable. Now, these are my memories of a child. Is that exactly what happened? I don't know, really, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It's my best memory. I do know that my brother was grounded for so long one time that I'm pretty sure he ran right through the wall into the hole. He was grounded for like a year. Um, so, th like, he was always in trouble. She was like this force to be reckoned with. You know, she would attack my dad, attack him. So it was just, it was tenuous in the house. Was it? That was your mom? That was my mom. Okay. That was my mom. The one who's staying with me for two months right now. Okay. The one I have right now home watching my kids that I trust completely. This was her at that time. Okay. Okay. So putting this thing into like previous context and real context. She was kind of the figurative head of the house. She was the head of the house. Yeah. She was the head of the house. So, so for me, like the non-communication, the sleeping on the couch, this kind of stuff, like, Again, I don't know everybody, but I've never met anybody who's yep. this was their story, you know, um, and I've explained this. So being in recovery 16 years, I've told this story hundreds of times. I've never had someone after the story be like, yeah, me too. Mm. Never, never all around the world. Not one time. Um, not saying it was the worst story. It was odd. It was crazy. Mm. Okay. So, and again, there's always, oh, I'm going to kidnap the kids and run away. There's like all these threats and it's just, it's just uneasy, right? It's uneasy in the house. I'm not a loser, so I'm good at sports, I'm smart. So I was like, by default, kind of, I was okay in school, like in terms of like peer pressure, you know. But I wasn't like my brother, who every girl liked him, every guy wanted to be him, like best at everything. So I was okay, but it it, it, didn't, it affected the way that I looked at the world. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it just did. And I, I see that more now than I did then. So boom, 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 time's going on. All right, I'm gonna try to fast forward. We get to 1995, from about 14. And the divorce is, is, is coming real. Might have happened started in 93, whereby, like, you know, this is coming to a, to a head. Now, for a lot of kids, this is like a traumatic moment. Mm. For me and my brother, we were like, thank God. This was like the greatest moment at that time. The fact that these two idiots are going to get away from each other. Like, even as a kid, I knew that. So my mom is mentally ill, whether she wants to admit it or not, 100%. Now, she's fantastic. She's dyslexic, incredibly high-functioning, but... Her entire family is mentally ill, right? So we have an uncle who I've never met, spent his whole life in an institution, an aunt who's schizophrenic, who lives in assisted living. I have an uncle who's a priest, a fourth one who passed away, my mom, and one who's allegedly normal. So like, mm. that there's, it's, in, it's in the genes, right? And I have aspects of that for sure. Um, I'm a little bit more aware, and we can get into that later. But so she... She doesn't know what she's doing. She's doing the best she can with the tools she was given, right? But so <clears throat> I remember talking to her. She loved me. I could tell. She listened to me. I could see it in her eyes. I remember telling her she used to beat my brother till he was unconscious and then come beat me up. And I remember one time I, I could have been six. I could have been nine. But this is a true story, 100%, meaning like I know this happened. Um, I remember being like, Mom, you can't get mad at him and beat him up and then come beat me up. Like you can't do – I didn't do anything. Like, you know, it was like you flipped the switch on. She was like – She's on the phone with her friends, like, you know, my son told me that. You know, you can't do this. Like, I'm gonna listen to these conversations. Like, never did it again. Good news. Bad news is my brother got it even worse. You know what I mean? So it was just like, it, it, everything's complicated. So, but again, she, it, like, legitimately had not processed that thought before. Like, that had never crossed her mind. Okay, so <clears throat> at the point of divorce, you guys were happy. They finally left each other. Yes. All right, so. And that's when you realized... Your mom was not very normal, and we knew you, you we got knew a she, taste of the life after them. Yes, yeah. so we knew she wasn't normal then. And yeah. At the time, my dad was a hero, 
because he just wasn't doing all this stuff. Mm. Now, doing nothing as a father isn't great either, but it's way less objectively offensive at the time. So, mm. divorce is happening. They're getting split up. We're like, cool. All right, now, the stories get funnier from here on out. Like, they're not funny, but they, they're funny. Okay, so this is the story. So, I'm in eighth grade, okay, so in, in U.S., whatever. I'm on a basketball team. Surprise. You know, I've got a buddy of mine, buddy Mike. His mom is like, she's like hot, right? So she's like young, right? So like we're out, <laughs> me and him are on the same team and we hooked our parents. So she's divorced. So we set them up on a blind date going out to dinner. Your dad with his mom. His mom. Okay. So, and they ended up living together. There's a whole story to that. But so we, we ended up hooking them up, right? <clears throat> Eight. So we're going. So at the time, like, and now I'm. So why, why did you decide to help your dad, not your mom? Oh, I wasn't a speak for big years. fan of my mom. I, you know, like I said, I'm 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 putting um, 42 year old mm, clear glasses on now, as clear yeah. as I can be. Uh, at the time, it was like, yeah, I understand, man. It's like fuck this lady. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like get me. I never, you know, like I didn't talk to her for a decade. She so got close to him the years after. Yeah, we were like he started to engage with you. Yeah, he was like he would he would take us to sporting events like and stuff like that. He's like he must have spoken. But I couldn't tell you anything about the guy, except yeah. that he ate vanilla ice cream, drank Diet Coke and stuff on the couch. I don't know anything about him. So so we're going on. We're setting that up. So, um, And also we're getting big because a lot of this was physical at the time. Mm. I remember the one time that my mom was mad at me. She was flying after me. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, an, I'm an athlete, right? So I'm like, so I'm just running away. So I'm running down the block. She's chasing after me. And I'm laughing. She's big. I'm like, Mom, there's no way you can catch me. Come beat me up. I'm like, what are you talking about? So it's, we're at that age, like 14. We're like, we're not kids. We're not adults. But it, it, things are changing, okay? So so anyway, she, me, my father, my friend Mike, his mom's woman, Susan, my brother, we all go on vacation, mm. okay? It's a classic Clemente story. <laughs> go on vacation. There's funny aspects to that, but that's more just like funny stories. That's not relevant here. So also we come back home. <laughs> Half the stuff in the house is gone. My mother, over the course of that week, found out, took all of his stuff and locked it in the shed. Now, I'm talking gigantic dressers from like the 1800s, like locked it all in the shed. Basically, it's like, this is when you got to move out. So that was the story at the time. So now the man's got nowhere to go. So he ends up having to move in with this woman. That was a catalyst that split them up. They were physically. in the yeah. The divorce was happening, but that was the physical separation. Now, and you played part in that because you you oh, and your yeah. brother matched hundred percent. So yeah. at the time, the story was that she moved the stuff to the shed. I found out like six months ago that that's not even exactly true. She held a garage sale. Uh. She sold his stuff. So his friends were driving by, buying all his tools. And giving it back to him. Like, I, I, just, I just found this out. Like, they're like, Steve, I'm so sorry. I saw your wife selling your power saw. I just bought, you know. But, so, like, I guess these stories are all kind of funny. Like, they are funny as an adult. And that whole story down there in Ocean City was hysterical. But so that's when he's got to go. So my okay. dad's gone. Okay. He's out the door. But you stayed with your mom. So who's left? Brother. Well, she, she's got a small place. There's no place for me. Like, I can't just move in. I don't even know. They've been together a few weeks. Like, it's, and they're still technically married. So now it's me, my mom, my brother in the house. Okay. Now, my brother is a criminal, okay? Now, he's through and through. I would actually rephrase it. He's an outlaw, like a, like an outlaw meaning like I'm just living outside the law. It doesn't mean I'm always breaking the law, but I don't a- apply anything. That's what the outlaws yes. believe in. So far, you've told us that he is uh, he's a very attractive, charming guy, that guys very. wanted to be him. 100%. Women loved him. His teachers wanted that. He's also prone to. He just. Misstep. <sighs> All right. So I'm a teenager. Gonna, first jump around. I'm going to jump around a lot. 
as a parent, him and my younger daughter personalities are incredibly similar. And so are my older daughter, my sisters, which is hysterical to look at as a parent because I can see exactly what she needs versus he didn't get that. Like, so he was like an incredible football player, basketball player. Like he would score two touchdowns a game in, in ninth grade, would just jump up, bang over people. Like they won the state championship, like at a phenomenal school. And, and so anyway, so he had all these things. He just, don't get me wrong. He, he made all of his own mistakes, but with the right coaching, guidance, mentoring, he could have had a totally different life than he has now. So anyway, we're in this house, me, sister, brother, mother. Okay. My brother's selling weed outside from upstairs, like just in the house openly. I'm starting to get drunk and high and stuff like that. And my sister, I honestly, like she was almost like from a different family, sweet and everything, but like three year age difference, but like a tremendous life difference. So after like nine months, my mom's like, I can't live here anymore. I can't have my daughter in his house. So I was 14 years old. It was about a week before I turned 15. She packed up all all of her stuff and my sister's stuff and left. Was it because of your brother was taking over after your, your dad left? Sure. He used the place as his headquarter. Yes. I mean, that that's going to sound way cooler than really what was happening. But like, yes, he was he was uncontrollable when her only means of control was physical punishment at the time. So yep. like she couldn't do that. So like and like I said, I was fast. I'm just running away. Like even then, my mom would have beat me up, honestly, if I had to. So. So she her brother was selling weed. Yes. And just running girls in and out and cutting school and just making mistakes. Just getting But in you trouble. were still going to school. I was just... still going to school. Um, but I was I was teetering. I wasn't getting in trouble yet. What about your brother? He was still in school, but he was in more trouble. So why would you say he's a criminal? Is it just is it just because the Oh, the story goes on and on. Weed or... He's he's yeah, he's he honest, he's fifteen, sixteen at the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're living in suburbia. Um he's open well, he doesn't you know, he's there's no questions i mean there's there's more to that story okay. that, that okay. goes on i uh, know that's fine it, these are all valid questions for a, for an abnormal person so so then she she so she leaves mm. okay so this is like a sad funny story so i'm 14 years old now with no parents okay so she threw the dad out with the girlfriend and then leaves with the sister well it takes all the stuff so it's like she can't take everything so it's me and my brother in this house i'm 14 he's 16 okay yep. now on one hand well, like, oh, okay. so complete liberty, freedom. Phase two begins. Dream came true. Right. Phase. Yeah. But on the other hand, I remember like at our birthday. So we're both born on the same day. Okay. St. Patrick's Day. So it's God's got a little irony. Not the luckiest two. I remember just looking across the table from him being like, happy birthday, bro. Like, happy birthday. Like, that was weird. No friends, no family, no nothing. Just two people in an empty house. Like, it's kind of fucked up. You know, so that was that date. But then, boom. Then... The, oh, poor me, childhood story ends, right? And there's more to the story, but that's enough, I think, to give you a flavor. And then gets into phase two, which is just complete debauchery. Like, this is when, like, the the drugs and alcohol and criminal activities and everything kind of falls off the rails. So we had a house there. We didn't tell my father at first. So he's paying the mortgage, doesn't know who's there. And even at the time that we did tell him, he never came back. So... So I'm actually, I have a, a beginnings of a book that I'm writing about this called Primrose Lane is where we lived. Just the stories from this house. And I'm just too lazy or busy to actually get it together. But we lived there nine to 18 months. I don't know how long, but it felt like a decade. Almost every single hysterical, formidable memory is from that time in this house. Just we moved them out. Every local curmudgeon from the town moves into this house. And it is just an absolute chaos until that was before 
before the crackdown on uh, criminals in New York City? Well, this is suburban Long Island. Um, not exactly the same. Not exactly the same. The criminal activity was mainly drugs. Okay. Mainly selling drugs. Some breaking in of houses, some breaking in of cars, some kind of extortion, some, but low-level stuff. But, like, if you're thinking about expanding concentric circles, our circle were like idiot kids, only. Yep. But as you expand out, these are different individuals. Exactly. Very different individuals. And there were many circumstances at that point in time that, like, there'd be people in my house. I felt very unsafe. Like, who? Like, my true story. Okay? This I know. Now I'm 14. Go ahead. You got a, you got a question? Were they... Uh... Were they all associated with your brother? Mostly. I didn't have this kind of friends. So he's 16, but he's like a grown man. Yeah. I'm 14. I'm still kind of like a kid. Like my friends might come to the house to hang out, but almost all of my friends whose parents found out what happened, they were never allowed to hang out with me again. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so thank God I had skipped a grade two years earlier. So in seventh grade, I had skipped a grade. I'd taken two years at the same time yeah. in this accelerator program. It was the only thing that helped me graduate high school. So as a 14-year-old, when you saw your brother, yeah, uh, who you've spent your whole life with, bring all these friends over, doing these things, um, what was your mindset? Were you trying to uh, assimilate by oh, for joining sure. them? 100% trying to assimilate. I was afraid of a lot of them. Um, I was trying to impress them. Right, so now you, now you transpose out. But did you know what you, you were doing? Meaning, like, was I making voluntary decisions? Did you know the the absurdity or the consequences of... That's a great question. At 14, I don't think you care. Okay, so so you guys were doing drugs in the yes. house. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, weed? Weed. Mo that's really... that. I didn't really... Alcohol and weed for me. Many of them got into other types of things. But that was yeah. really my remit at okay. the time. So let's say there are a lot of other illicit uh substances in the house there's enough you know they're they're not they're not not present um and they're like i said there's there's like there's legit criminals who are in and out of jail in and out of prison kind of making their way through like bringing my brother on these like escapades so he they, he would just go out at i don't know what time in the morning i'm sorry in the evening and get dropped off at school so we're still in school right this is high school so you gotta like you're trying to compare this as like we're still in high school. We're still in town. It's just like we're living an alternate reality in the town. So your brother was uh, kind of taken care of by his older friends. Yes, so was I. Yeah. Those, that was my peer group. Those are my mentors. That was my family. That was okay. my circle, 100%. I was not like, oh, my God. Like, a lot of these guys are my friends. The, you know, people just drinking beers, messing around, going to parties. This and that. These are my buddies. So these became my friends. At any point, were you under severe physical threat? Several times. Yeah. Like, there were there were times... There was one example. We'll give you examples, because it's hard to... Where yeah. my brother comes home with these two men, 40 years old. I'm 14. 15, maybe, at the time. He's like, yeah, I've seen these guys walking home from the police precinct. I know what that's like, so I picked them up. All right, bro, I gotta go out. Just picks these criminals up. He's never met before. I've never... Just brings them to my house and leaves. That's I can give you many examples like that. Did they stay overnight? Just, I don't even remember. I'm just sitting there like, what am I supposed to do with these people? So I'm just trying to get them high. But generally, did, did your brother's friends live in the house? Um, again, these were just in mutual out? friends. Okay. Not all his friends. I don't want to yep. make it sound like I'm sitting here. Like, a lot of the mutual friends. Yep. Um, live in the house. We, we definitely had people living there from time to time. If you had no place to stay, this was kind of like a home for the homeless as well. 
Yeah. Like, so a lot of people who are good friends of mine today were basically just like, they had nowhere to go. They were having problems. This, this, and that. You come to Clemente's house. You know, so it, it's, a lot of this was fun and party and enjoyable. It wasn't all dire. Yeah. It, it, it was a mix of those things. Um, but there were incidents where like one peripheral group of people had got brought over and I felt totally unsafe. And I didn't feel like calling my parents. Frankly, I didn't think I'd call the police either. Because we had a lot of problems. Like, they, you know, they weren't, they were, the cops were there all the time. And you still maintained a, a normal teenager life, going to high school, sort of. Sort of. I So, okay, so I go from skipping a grade in seventh grade, 13, 14, to getting thrown out of school academically and for behavior reasons at 16. So okay. my progression was very fast. Okay. So now I'm out of school. Okay. So essentially I had to go to, so like, to your point of maintaining it, kind of. I, like, I physically got through it. I got very lucky. I had some people come into my life and kind of help me. But it was, um, it, 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 I progressed quickly. Like, I'm not built for that life, any aspect of it. So your question about are you okay with this, my moral compass has never changed. Drinking, smoking weed, I could care less. I never have, never do. Even when it was legal, I don't care. Hmm. The fighting, I never was comfortable with. There was a point in time where there was a violent fist fight every single weekend for about a year and a half. When I mean every in your house, it could have been in my house. It could have been outside of my house, only outside of my house, um, if, on the streets, out at parties, okay. out at streets. If 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 fights came to our house, it was usually the situation was out of control because this was not the kind of house you want to mess around in. Think about suburbia. You, you picture like suburbia. You picture the house it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you don't fucking you don't come to this house. If they did come, they were not worried about us at all. These are people who were willing to shoot us, willing to stab us. And there are nights like that that I'd be, like, tucked under the windows crying with a knife, like, people are going to kill us. And what the fuck is going on here? Like, like there were nights that that happened. That did happen. Now I'm an adult. I know these memories. Were there weapons in the house, too? Oh, yeah, for sure. We didn't have any guns, but weapons everywhere. Um, it, yeah, for sure. For sure. It, but it's, you know. But again, it's like there's also a nice pool table and a stereo system. It was yeah. a cool house. Like it was a lot of parties. So it's just, it, but it's just abnormal, right? It's just like this was the house you go to to do those types of things. So if, if we pause a second That's here brilliant. and freeze the time, let's say, and and if nothing else happens on that trajectory, dead. Where do you think? Okay. Dead. Guy like me, I'm not built to last in that regard. I don't have the mental fortitude. I don't have the physical making of it. Like, I'm not, like, that kind of guy. So I, I'd assume a lot of your friends back then ended up We've buried more, right. We've buried more than we should have. And they, and they guy just died, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It, it happens. Um, a lot of them did time. Like, they would, at time, at, at certain points, they'd be, like, 30 or 40 people in the house. And I was the only one without a felony charge, you know? So that's, like, odd. Um, a lot of them major drug addicts died that way, incarcerated. But even taking a step backwards, if you looked at the spectrum, and I'd have to get names and things, not many of them are doing well now. Yeah. There are a few that are doing okay. Not many that are doing well. And it's sad. And it's, it gets sadder every time I go back and I go see them. I love these guys. And it's like, even thinking about it, it gets me sad. Like, what shot did they have? Like, the, all these fa- and everyone's got a story. This m- mom's a crackhead. This dad's not around. Like, some of them came from normal families. A decent percentage did not. And I feel like they were born to fail. Like they didn't really have a shot, like in them, which is, which is uncomfortable, um, which makes me feel amazed that I did get a shot, right? Like there's no, there's no reason that I should be living in Singapore, hanging out with you, 
playing basketball, wife, kids, beautiful life. Like, like don't worry, I work hard, but like a lot of it's just like this it, in my experience. And um, so, because we can go on to this path forever, but I think it might be a good. So what happened? No, right. Now the question. What happened? In how did you get to so, okay. here from there? All right. So I'll, I'll give you the lowest of the lows. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm I'm thrown out of school. They wouldn't even let me attend alternative school, which was rare. So they made me, they put me on this work release program like like I was a parolee. I had to work full time at a job and get signed off to be able to go to alternative school in the afternoon. So at this point, I'm like, I'm like working this job, stocking shelves, and I'm like walking to school. And like the lacrosse bus, lacrosse is a big sport right? Yeah. I was very good at it, actually. That was the only sport that I was pretty good. They're driving by, going to practice, and I'm sitting there walking this and that and going to alternative school where like... This one's cl climbing on the walls, telling me Spider-Man. This guy's pissing out the window. Like, what's wrong with these people? You know. And I'm I'm suicidally depressed at the time. I'm like I'm. Like, I mean, I and I don't use that term lightly. Like As a that, teenager, that was the plan. Like that was absolutely the plan. And I have a couple like cry for help attempts. Like in my journey, one up at that time. I get to this alternative school. Who's the principal? Except one of these accelerated team teachers from a few years ago, right? Who knew me then. So she starts talking to me in French. I'm hysterical crying. I'm like, I can barely speak English. I'm like, I haven't seen you in three years. It might as well have been three decades. Like I've been away, you know? So she brought me in. She introduced me to this other guy, Mr. Ostabo, all name on this podcast, who completely saved my life. Real tough dude, older dude, uh, military guy. So he's a teacher at your school. I don't know what the hell he did over there, to be honest with you. I, I, I like. But I, you met met him through, through the, the education system. At the point where you were dealing with uh, I, this was end. That I couldn't do illnesses and yeah, uh, drugs, alcohol. Abuse. Didn't know there was mental illness at the time. Just yeah. drug and alcohol and, and PTSD from the family. Let's call it yeah. as as therapists have labeled it to me. Um, so I meet this guy and he just brings me in, has me like working for him. Like I'm just painting stuff in this alleged museum they had. This How is a real museum. He, what, what is he, he like? He he's a tough dude. Doesn't like everybody. Right, tough dude. He liked me for whatever reason. He was just what his profile, if you were to yeah try to imagine him, because it seems like he's a important. Yeah, guy who talks like this, six two. Picture cigar. He doesn't smoke, but a cigar hanging out of his mouth. Yeah. Military guy in his sixties, just like been through it all. Sixties, wow. But like yeah. tough, and like just for whatever reason he liked me. So his his whole thing was like, this kid's never had a chance, right? So and again, so talk about not knowing what's abnormal. I still didn't even know that none of this was my fault at the time, right? Like, I'm weak. There's something wrong with me. Like, how come I can't survive with this? Which is like, I would never expect. Like, I got nieces who are 14, 16. I'm like, imagine them in this life. But anyway, so he was kind of like laying it on me. Like, you know, you did nothing wrong. Your father was a failure. Uh, yada, 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 yada. Just hyping me up a little bit. Bringing me under his wings. Got me working for him. Trusted me. Got me doing things. Introducing me to people. Just, just... Yeah. In, Inflated me back up, got Slowly, me back in high school. Piecemeal wise, engineering your whole get social me back up. So three things: I had a girlfriend I was dating at the time, yeah. who I lived with. So I'm gonna be. So as this is going on, obviously the house is falling apart. So my yeah. brother's living in his car. I got nowhere to go. I'm not gonna get into every story, but like it, it, it got worse and worse and worse. And the ironic thing is, your dad was still paying the mortgage through all of this. So, so the so okay. So I'm trying to. <laughs> So essentially, you can't have a house with no kid, parents. Yeah. It's illegal. You have to have parents, okay? Mm -hmm. So we would have child protective services coming to the house all the time, trying to take me and my brother away. So how did they find out you were living oh, without like, it, supervision? So you're, okay, I'm living here. Let's say you're living next door. Neighbors. There's, 
fucking bottles flying everywhere, police every night. Like, you can't miss it. Mm. You couldn't miss this with no eyes and no ears. You couldn't miss it. Like, so they would be in there all the time. So, ba 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 ba. But my friends are all criminals, so they know the law. Don't let them inside. Yada, yada, yada. So, like, the child protective services would drive up, and my friends would be throwing glass bottles over the house, smashing and, like, on the car. Like, just get the hell out of here. So, so eventually, they couldn't prove there was no parents. But, however, the progression went first, they shut down the pool. They got, they got authority to make us close the pool. We had an above-ground pool. And then they made us sell the house. Okay. So that's how that house ended. So now it's so me. your dad sold the house. That's right. Okay. So now me and my brother going with him and, and the wife and her son. And so it, back to your thing about paying the mortgage. So, But that unraveled because we're criminals and the mother couldn't take it. God, God bless so her. So you got kicked out again. So then I got nowhere to go. I'm in with this girlfriend. My brother's living in his car. So second angel came into my Mr. Ostebo number one. This woman who I won't name in case she doesn't like me anymore, uh, my girlfriend at the time. So no, <laughs> honestly, she'd be very happy to hear from me, but uh, I just don't want to name her because it paints her in a bad light. Like, yeah, her, um, Mary. They, um, I basically was living with her. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then that woman who worked in the alternative school. So between the three of them, they were just like hyping me up. Like this is to me, like I'm, I believe in God, and this was like, this was a second shot. Like this kid's not ready yet, so I don't want to talk. I don't get all teary, but like, so they gave me a shot. Okay, so. Got me back into high school, got me back in Cincinnati, and like just that was enough to reinvigorate me. Like it, I graduated, you know, got through everything. I mean, all those things kind of transpired, but like it was enough to, you know, so that obviously the the relationship with that woman didn't work after my father. So we're in this other house. It's another weird. We got fleas in the house. Like it's a gross house, but like I had a place to live. I'm not under threat. Like the same operation. So you're staying going with on. your girlfriend at the time. So I'm that, staying with her for a bit. Yeah. And then obviously she broke up with me. Cause I, can't, oh, can't, yeah. I can't blame her. So now I'm back with my dad. But now we have like another house. He's okay. with the girl. Blah, blah. So, so you're with your dad at the time. Right. So like those those three people kind of got me on the straightened path. So then I remember I'm like, all right, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. So, like, so you completely cut off from the previous. I had to. I, you know, it was the first like relocation. So I gotta get away from this environment. I knew I had a drug and alcohol problem at the time. I knew I had a problem. With How that much were you drinking as a teenager? If you don't, I was mind. drunk or high, twenty four hours a day for four straight years. From fourteen till eighteen. Correct. That was a four years. There was never a time that I wasn't like high or drunk. Right. There's, there's just never a time. Like you know, like it tests, sporting events. What were you anything. drinking? Was it beer? Was yeah, it? beer, hard liquor, anything available. You know, we're all underage. So what we can get was our hands it because on. you actively wanted to or your environment, your friends? Oh, and I wanted socially to. Totally wanted to. I mean, also you. socially wanted to. Yeah. I might have gotten peer pressured into doing drugs if they were around. I didn't, per se. Yeah. But, like, the drugs, uh, the drinking and the, and, and the weed yeah. I enjoyed. You know, so yeah. talk about the self. So I can't imagine how much toll it, it takes on a teenager's development. The, I'm not the tallest guy I ever met, uh, or or the most mature. Uh, I'm kind of kidding, but it it um yes, it it does impact a lot of things. It, yeah, that age in life is when different decisions are made, and it's just yeah. like that. My my peer group were a bunch of criminals, you know, so yeah. drug addicts. So um, it sets the foundation for the rest of your life, right? In so, a lot but of I'm ways, yeah. right. I'm lucky to I guess so I get out of there, right? So I got to get out of here. Um, You're 18. 18. Now, okay. it could shot. be looked at looking in a 42-year-old lens, was I self-medicating at the time? Mental illness or just depression or everything else? Maybe. Maybe not. Or maybe I was just partying. Hard to tell. 
Um, I still, to this day, don't exactly know. Nobody knows where mental illness begins and ends. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's complicated. So um, so I, I go away to school. I apply to a bunch of schools. I get into one, all right? UConn. They won the national championship at basketball in 99. I'm going there in 2000, okay? I'll give you a quick funny story since we're, we're here. So the night before we leave, my brother just got out of jail for the however many times. So it was he's coming home party. I'm going away party. Party at the house, right? He gets from jail. I'm going to college. Typical, out of control. I end up like, you know, fight with one of my buddies. So, so you're supposed to, most people will show up to university at 9 a.m. when you're supposed to with your parents. Hmm. I show up at 5.30 in the afternoon with my brother, okay, hmm. wearing the same clothes I had the night before. So I'm covered in blood and dirt from fighting my friend. Covered. And so essentially we missed the whole day of whatever they were talking about. So now we're all on the lawn. Like everybody, so it's just 8 to 12 um, floors in this building, all on the lawn. And that particular building was a combination of American football players and just students. Right? So that was the first day of your college. First day of college. So we're up on this lawn and speaking about like changing my life. So they're going around, what do you want to do? This guy or girl is like, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a doctor. I'm going to be in the NFL. I have never even thought about what I want to do. I'm like, well, how am I surviving tomorrow? I, to this day, not one decision I made career-wise has been like, I'm thinking about this. It's just been like so getting where there. was your dad at the point? I have no idea. Um, the fact that neither of them even knew to – maybe I didn't tell them that college was starting. Honestly, my God, I don't know. Okay. I can only process so much information. I genuinely do not know why nobody was there. Okay. Um, but I'm there with him. So they're going around. So they get to me. Yeah. What do you want to do? And I'm like, uh, again, you're going to see in the picture. I'm like, I'm a reformed juvenile delinquent. Like, I'm just trying to get my life together. They're like, okay. Like, it's an odd opening. Because <laughs> my brother's there. They go to him. What are you doing here? He's like, I don't go to school here. Bro, I just got out of jail. <laughs> so that was day one, college. Uh, which, honestly, in retrospect, set me off on a great path. I was that guy, you know, not, not to be trifled with. Um, but it was my first, like, escape, go away to school. So I didn't smoke weed for about six months, barely drank. I'm in great shape. Like, worked out hard, like, playing ball all day. Wasn't going to class because I was still, my mentality is what it was. But I was doing okay. So, like, yeah. life turned around. So this is when, like, the time ends, but, like, the alcohol and drug being a problem was the first time I saw it. Like, every time I drank, it was incredibly explosive. Incredibly explosive. Like, every feeling and thought that I ever had that I repressed would come out when I was drinking. It was bad. Explosive in the sense it Violently explosive. Um, you couldn't stop drinking? I couldn't stop drinking. start? And I couldn't stop drinking ever from when I started. I blacked out the first time I ever drank, threw up. But I mean, like, I would... I, it wasn't like... It, it unleashes the old yes. you. So you're right. Couldn't stop, which many people have. But you'll have, like, a happy lush who throws up and can't stop. I'm not saying yeah. that's okay. Then you'll have the absolute Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like, who that was... I was me. So I, that guy you want to be around, right? And just so, like... That's when I realized, like, it was like fear, like I gotta get out of here, like I can't, I can't be around this kind of stuff. Like, it was a 100% correlation to a major problem, me just completely losing it. One example was when I, again, I blacked out, I don't remember, but I come to, and my roommate who's six foot four, is standing up on his bed against the wall, like I don't know what to do, bro. I called your brother, I don't know what to do. So call my brother from New York, he's halfway to Connecticut two and a half, you know, four hours, whatever it was, driving up there to come get me because they don't know what's going on. Like, it was, I was that guy. So this is, like, the first taste, A, of freedom. So you put away, like, the personal life, fighting shot to, like, do some stuff. 
but the drug and alcohol and the mental illness remain and whatever's in there is still there you know what i mean so like so we're in, in the kind of the middle ground middle ground so not here not not there but also you're living with the shadows of the past 100 percent. still am dude to be honest with and, you some stuff still and there. of course college yeah. for a lot of other people is it's the first shot for them to taste alcohol drugs right. everything else but for you i was washed up like by that time i was why i was like washed up 80 year old man at 18 like it you know looked okay because i was working out back then but exactly you're, you're 100 right that's what that was so go there for a year you come was awesome um come back home so the, the the divorce is permeating through all this understand right like i got no place to stay most of the time if i go to my dad's it's out of control if I go to my mom, she's using this to manipulate the courts to get child support. So, like, that's that's ongoing, that mm. scenario throughout all this, right? Like, like a lot of things, I'm not talking about them, but they haven't ended yet. So, I get back from Yukon, and then I find out that my mom hasn't been paying her court-mandated share. My dad's going bankrupt. So, my God, I can't go here no more. So financial reasons you had to move. Right. So, I went How back. How did you get in in the first place? It, it definitely shows that you did have some... Uh, academic aptitude they were okay i'm not like you know i'm not dumb so my, my father's in mensa i don't know if you know what that is yes okay so like my father's understand like i don't i'm a humble guy i've known you long enough like i'm not dumb like like, like thank god i'm a perfect combination of a mensa with dyslexia if you want to call it that like like there are things that i can process so fast that i don't even understand what my brain just did and at the other time i have significant trouble with like silly things whether it's the mental illness or the PTSD or I don't know if it's dyslexia per se, so but like wanted to learn, you did put in the effort and then yeah, like when I tried, excelled. when I tried, okay. I did very well. Okay, you know academically, and because I had I had gotten a head start when I was really young, enough of that carried over that when I graduated high school, I still had um like there was enough meat on the bone where I could give yeah. it a shot. UConn's not a great school; it's not a bad school; it's an average school. So let's say now you're out of UConn. Now I went back to City University Baruch College, represents where I graduated from. Were you still, throughout the whole year at UConn, did you ever close a chapter with alcohol and drugs? No, it got worse before it got better. Okay, so I go to... So you're constantly in and out of these states, blackouts. Yes, yes. constantly. You know, bring out the old you. Yes, yeah. 100% true. And I got injured badly. Badly, I mean, I got tore hamstring. My first taste of pain medication that was the downfall or the savior depending how you look at it um so when i got back to yukon i had a i'm sorry i got back to baruch the first year i did nothing didn't smoke drink nothing i'm in fantastic shape i'm like every girl in the school is hitting on me i'm i'm like the teacher's pet in every class getting straight a's everybody's cheating on me okay i'm gonna just shout this out so i'm at yukon one of the most diverse schools in the in the country yeah, yeah. okay people coming from all over the world. they're all cheating off me all of them from all over, all these smart people, I'm not going to name a country. You yeah, name a yeah. country where they're good at this. You're yeah. cheating off me all day long. Surprise, fucking surprise. I, I, I meet this girl. We start hanging out. And we start getting a little bit more involved in smoking weed and then so drinking. This is Baruch. Okay. Then I get injured again, hurt my back. And How did you get injured? Fights? Sports? No, no sports. Sports or something Both like that. Both times were sports. Mostly okay. always sports. Um, can, we, can we go back to when you just yeah. the first taste of pain medication what do you mean by that and uh to be honest actually so that's not that's not true the first time i got it was a cough syrup in high school yeah. 
And I remember now in high school, I was a maniac. I had the thickest file in the history of the school at the time when I was in high school. I was in trouble all the time. So I'm in class, a teacher who I honestly, I can tell you, Margaret, I don't even know her name. I don't even know what class it was, how little I was in class. Like, But I just remember specifically being like on this cough med, being ill one day. And she being like, wow, you're really pleasant today. It's like, what got into you? And I remember being like, I think I'm like, you know, I feel great. <laughs> like this is, this so it, it like that first resonated moment of like just at peace, medicated, right, was the opiate derivative of whatever, different than what alcohol and drugs, uh, alcohol and we did. Um, UConn, I tore my hamstring, um, yeah. playing sports, uh, got prescribed again. And then from then, like, I had a real taste for that. It just, it made me feel better. And the outward damage from that were none. Like, I, I was very pleasant guy. I was very nice. I was just like, a, I was, you know, it was very pleasant. I was a pleasant guy to re- be around, and I felt pleasant. Was that part of why you were so stay, staying put for the first year when you transferred the new college. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that that kind of came and went. I wasn't taking it throughout the whole year. It was okay. like a month or two tops. Probably not even a month. Okay. Not so give your you life was was better. It was in a new better. Place. A lot of times it happens when you're physically in a new place. Your everything else restarts. Yes. So the the whole new Tony back to New York. Way way I'll say way better, like day to day, but those tendencies were still under the surface. Like they were, right. I, they were there. So, get back to UConn, doing great, right? Um, won't get into the house stuff at the time. So, then I got, I got, I got hurt like more long term. So I've, I even now today I have a couple of bulging, deteriorating discs in my spine. It's just I've had them for twenty five years, and I had a doctor who was putting me on like these very low level type of medication, and a guy ended up passing away. And the last thing he said was, "Please do not upgrade from this." Anyone I've seen upgrade from this is incredibly addictive. The so second, I feel like we're leading to another chapter. Chapter of your life where you're battling a new, new demon. Or new demon in your life. New demon. Just let's get to the point there. How did you? Yeah. How did they uh, explode? So it just it. So now I'm prescribed this medicine by a doctor. Yeah. And it just it took off like it, the the. You're with a girlfriend. At yes, the time. I'm with the girl at the time. Academically, you're doing better. It's doing good. Doing real good. I was at full scholarship to college academically, right? Like I was at right. 4.0 for yeah, semester after semester. Yeah, because your dad wasn't able to pay. Yes. Uh, then oh, you had this thing. Yes. With and the it's medication. just like, oh, my, like, that make that. We can, the ramp up in which the addiction took place with this was incredibly fast. Like, let's say one worked, then I needed two. And it just, it, it happened so fast and got so entrenched that, like, my life completely fell apart. So actually, because we're probably coming, I can't, I don't know what time it is and I don't know how much time we have, but like, I'll go quick with this one. It went from like full scholarship academically, feeling good, great girlfriend, this and that, to 30 pounds overweight, suicidally depressed, $30,000 in a hole, nowhere to live, failing out of school, losing a job like this. Like that, it happened over a couple of years, but like the, the, the picture front to back, like when I was at my end, it was like there was no one left to go. I didn't have another credit card I could borrow money from. I had nowhere left to live. I'm back with my dad and his new girlfriend at the time. They that was that was all the pain medication you were addicted to. Pain medication. Like the other stuff, alcohol got explosive. Weed, I got dumb and lazy. But the pain medication was just like there's just an elevator going down for me. Were you, were you trying to buy 
more doses than you oh, had to subscribe to. to. To the doctors, like, you're like, you don't need this much drugs. You're not dying of cancer. Like, so it, I've heard stories of people just faking injuries, going to doctors. For sure. I would do anything. Subscribed. Anything. Meet anyone in any corner. Give anybody, like just waiting in parking lots, giving people money, sitting there, being in really compromised positions. But no, I would do anything, anything. To this day, if presented with the same thing, I can't even, I'm 16 years sober. Even to this day, there is nothing I wouldn't do if that thought took place. Nothing. Which is an insane thing to say, but it's real. It's as real it's as it gets. still underneath the surface. Never goes. Yeah, never. never. It's goes a maintenance away. program. So, so that... So I'm, I'm getting jobs, I'm doing that, but I'm, I'm losing them quick. Like my resume at the time was like, couldn't do two more. And so again, got saved again, grace of God. I'm about to get fired from a company that thinks they're the best in the world. Not my current company, but a company that certainly is pretty proud of who they are, finance. Um, <clears throat> about to lose my job, I'm losing my mind, losing my mind, you know? So you're and, still doing all of these things were, yeah. at the time when you were professional? Yes, yes. So I'm in my second, third All your third salaries, year. paychecks were going through that hole. And beyond. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond. Um, and it was illegal at the time. Getting pain medication that way is definitely illegal. Um, a buddy of mine who was doing that did three years in federal prison for that type of thing. Where was your brother throughout this whole time? So okay. it's funny. He was the only one who knew there was a problem. To my mom. So again, I didn't talk to my mom for like a decade. When I mean I didn't talk to her. Like a couple of times, I don't remember because my brain's really fried, but yeah. she, I did not want her as part of my life. She did not become back into my life till I met my current wife, right? To that. So this is years later. Okay. But so I'm living with my dad, but he don't talk. He does what he does, right? I mean, whatever. His wife hated me. Um, not really talking to my sister too much. Not that there was anything wrong so with your brother her. since he dropped you off on the first day of college. Where did he go after that? It, just to fill the gap. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, you, you felt more distant. No, no, we, we we were like tight. Yeah. Okay, like, but just like um, when when you're when you're in the midst of severe drug addiction, I can't tell you anything else except where I'm getting my drugs or what I got to do to get money to get them. There's, there's only two things that exist: getting them and using them. I, I there's nothing else matters. Like it it and I to any sane human being, I cannot explain to you the pull of this. Like. I'm a pretty strong-minded dude. This is a guy who broke his ankle, finished the basketball game, crawled to his car, drove himself to the hospital. Did you know anyone yeah. else going through this? Like trying to get sober or who was Who was high. deeply addicted as you? Everyone. The, the, the opiate slash heroin epidemic in Long Island is incredible. Everyone I was around was doing this. It, it, is, it, is, it is scary. So if... If we take a small digression, because I think a lot of us, we can't relate to it. Right. Um, so whose fault do you think it was? Right. How did we get there? Just Oh, how did the a society? The society. McRid, I am an accountable kind of guy. <laughs> I am a big guy on taking accountability. Individual responsibility. I'm a big fan of that. So I'll speak for myself. This guy told me his dying words, don't do this. I did it anyway. Who am I? I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing right now. I'm an addict. That is outside of my control. Like the, the pull is incredible. The what they say. So I'll speak to. I'm in recovery. Mental obsession, and then physical compulsion. I can't stop thinking about it. And then when I take it, I cannot stop taking it. Twofold. Okay. Until you pass out. Or, right. Right. You know. 
or die, right? I mean, there's there's no there's not there's no happy ending. Um, the opiates themselves, it's like everything else in modern society. There's money involved. Like, yeah, these companies know what it is. They know what money can be made. But it, it's it's so easy to point at one person. There's there's culpability everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And okay, so yeah, so it wasn't a unique case. You were part of a phenomenon that was happening. And uh, you were working. Your, your life was falling apart. There are a ton a of doctors that won't prescribe this to you. Just to you're be clear, about getting fired. Yeah. Then what happened? Again? What happened? My next what angel. What happened again? Matt DiDonato. I'll call him out. He'll never see this, but this guy. Oh my God! Saved my life. This guy saved my life. So, I want to name my company here, but they will definitely sue me and try to kill me. It's okay. Um, not. This is my current company. It's my last company. I want yeah, to name yeah. drop them. Uh, so anyway. He pops in and he's like, "Is everything all right?" He's not really my manager, but he kind of is. So I'm like, "Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah." He was your colleague. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm like, "Yeah, everything's fine, right? It's not fine." It comes to me a couple months later. He's like, "You sure everything's all right?" I'm like, "All right." I'm like, "You want to get some lunch?" And I just laid it on him. So take what I just told you, but I'm high and drunk, and trying to explain this to someone I barely know at work. So he's like, "Okay." He's like, uh, "You know." I think you should speak to this HR. So he, he reached out to like this HR equivalent person. So they're like, you know, they want you to call them. Even despite all this, the ego is so strong. I'm like, I'm not calling them. I'm calling anybody. I got this under control. A couple weeks pass. They're like, how about they call you? This is as silly as this sounds. I'm like, oh, you're going to call me? All right, I'll take the phone call. I'm out in New York City, Wall Street, downtown. Okay talking on the phone, screaming and crying at this person I've never met for like 45 minutes. So finally, it passes. I'm like, listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, I'm actually not like that. I'm like, I'm just, I hate the phone. So she's, she's seen this before. So she's like, come on in. So I talk to her. I tell her what's going on. She's like, you got to get help like today. I'm like, so I'm, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm willing. I knew I had a problem. Like I knew there was a problem. Now I'm talking specifically drugs and alcohol now. I knew there was a problem. I just like... I don't know if I knew there was an outlet. Now, I would drive home every day from New York. Sorry. Take the train home from New York City every day, looking out the window, plotting my suicide. So now, my family knew I had an attempt. So the new attempt had to make it look like an accident. So legitimately, if I didn't meet this woman, the plan was to trip and fall in front of a subway. That way, it could have been like, well, Tony was drunk. They didn't know it was a suicide attempt. So I can get the job done, not make them feel bad. That was my best thought process at the time, how to wrap it up. Were you living alone? No, I'm living with my dad and his wife, but they didn't like me. I don't blame them. His wife hated me. She just loves me now, but did not like me. So this woman, um, and, you know, the, the fiancé that had broken up, like, I'm not doing well. Like, everything is falling apart. Okay. Everything unravels. So she's like, I'm like, so what do I do? She's like, you walk upstairs, you grab your bag, you walk out of here, you don't say a word to anybody. You got to go to rehab. I'm like, fuck. Because so, at the time, I'm like, because I kind of knew there was something mental illnessy inside, I'm like, I feel like. If they bring me in one of these places, they're going to let me out. Like, I have genuine fear. I don't want to go because I don't want to be trapped there. So, so again, my brother, my father, my brother, he drives me all over northeast at, to places, checking them out, trying to find one. We found one that, like, is not a medical lockdown. So I can leave if I want to at any point in time, right? He's the one who drives me in. He's the one who drops me off. You know what I'm saying? Like, only one. This is he's my brother. Like, again, I say he's a criminal. Like, he's not... Picture like a criminal, like an idiot criminal, like a movie criminal. Like the, I can't. I'm, I mean, he's done some stuff that I would not do. He's not a terrible person. Like guy cares about me. So anyway, he drops me off. 
So now that's that's when the thing that's when everything changed. So June seventeenth, it was actually June thirteenth, but um, dropped two thousand and seven, is when I got into this place and never looked back. That was like the beginning of the end. So I already knew the family stuff was there. I knew there was some work to be done there. Now the drugs and alcohol's got to go. Complete abstinence got to go. Um, and I never looked back. Thank God. So that was like that was the beginning of the end. Kind of explaining to me that this is like I'm not a bad person. I'm a sick person. It took a lot for me to believe that. A lot. Like, I'm an accountability guy, but I tend to take more accountability than is realistic. Like, what is a kid supposed to do in a scenario, as I told you? What is a kid? Like, these aren't solid. It's not like you can't do them, but, like, that's one out of a million would do this. Like, how could you do it? Like, but I'm like, I should do it. I got to be able to do it, you know? So, got in there, listen to what they said to the best of my ability. Like, I'm a pain in the butt. I'm arrogant. I'm annoying. So, I listened to most of what they said. But I did the program. I did mm. the path. Did what they said. So now life turns around. So now on the surface, right, my job, I got a new job after that because my jacket was muddy at the old job. It was never going to get better. Got a new job, my current job. Get a new girlfriend, apartment, saving some money. Like things turned around. And like this is the beginning of like when my life changed. I can't thank this program enough. How long were you there for? I was in the treatment center for 11 days. Okay. Then I was in an outpatient treatment center for a couple of months. And then I've been active in recovery since, still to this day. Yeah. Like I'm still very active in, into the program, and you know, to, to, to the ability. So this was... How old were you when you started? 26. Okay. 26 at the beginning. So that is like the end of the old life. Then okay. there's, like, there's like the new life. So the last 16 years of what that is. But again, it's it's... This has been way more about the growth and, like, the recovery and acceptance. But, like, the mental illness piece, like, the real acceptance of it, it didn't happen until yeah. a few years ago. And that's – I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around it. I'll be honest with you. So uh, as we continue on this path of recovery, um, we've turned the page on the old Tony, and now you've your life's back on track, uh, although things are still underneath the surface. Um so what was your state at the time when you were with a happy girlfriend, your life's got gotten together, a successful career? Um, how did it feel? Did it feel unreal? It's a great did, question. Did, did you feel thankful? Grateful given... for sure. I will say that I, even to this day, if I tell people, oh, I'm sober, oh, great job. I'm like, no, nah. like that's not, that has nothing to do with me because I've seen a million people, not a million people, thousand people, thousands of people who didn't get it. There's nothing that I deserve. To me, this is divine intervention. Like, I put in the work, but so do other people. So I'm incredibly grateful for the life I have today. I'm never not grateful. Um, so it's a complete different thing, but it's, it's the tools that I learned there are incredible. So coming into sobriety was all about specifically doing what was instructed. So you come in, they're just like, go do this, go do this, go do this. Like, Whatever you think you know, you don't know. <laughs> Your best thinking got you here. Do what we're saying. Look at the people around here who are doing well. Do what they do. So just follow an instruction. So kind of go back up, unearth a bunch of this stuff. you got to change the way you live. It's, what are some specific things? Oh, it's, it's an ongoing process. But it, it, initially, it's a lot of stuff. Like the first stuff to go is a lot of like the shadiness behavior, like the criminal behavior, like the lying, just like 
living in that realm for so long, the behaviors that I adapted to were just so abnormal. So like, like you would shed that kind of stuff off. A lot of stuff they talk about, they call them character defects, but a lot of them are defense mechanisms. So you start shedding that stuff away. Um, <clears throat> timeliness, silly, silly things, like, which I'm not timely, even to this day. Remember the first time I go to meet my sponsor, okay? He drives like 20 minutes, I drive like five, okay? Supposed to meet at five o'clock. I'm there at 5.15, just right away. He's like, you know when you show up late, you're telling me that your time's more valuable than my time. It's like, like, to be talked to like that, like an adult, from someone I know cares about me, but is not, like, one of the most tremendous things about, about this program is just you're being taught, like, you can do whatever you want, but people don't, they're not going to co-sign your nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if you come to me with some stuff, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. So a complete overhaul in life was the first step. And that, the benefits of that were incredible. Job, I've been in the same job now 14 years, right? I went from being, you know, bankrupt-ish to having a, like a nice successful life and, and stuff like that. A healthy relationship, like kids. Brought my family back in. That's been brought together. Have social circles, friends, healthy. Like all of this stuff came back, I would say, entirely because of the program and specifically the work. And that worked for like, 10 years it was enough it was enough within those 10 years i would still have like meltdowns but i viewed them as like normal meltdowns like anyone else would have very very stressful job fight with the girlfriend like you can rationalize anything it was only about 10 years in singapore i remember i'm sitting of course i'm playing basketball we're at tanglin park behind this place games going on i'm sitting on the bench and i'm just crying and the dude next to me is like, you're right. I'm like, I don't know, man. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. You know, like it was the first time that like I didn't have anything I could point to of why my mood had fluctuated significantly. And I was like, man, there's something, there's something wrong here. Like this is not because it's easy. Because when I was in, when I went into rehab, they put me in a dual diagnosis group, which means these are people with mental illness and alcohol and drug addiction. Hmm. Okay. I looked around the room. I did not like what I saw. I judged everyone in that room. Still do, frankly, if I'm being honest with myself. They were all taking all sorts of medication. And I would look to the counselor and say, this doesn't seem to be helping them. It's too much. It's too little. It's this, like, if this, I don't want that. Like, not that I'm judging people. I know many people take meds like that. Like, it enhances their life. But what I saw, I didn't like what I saw. So when I leave... I went to the therapist, counselor, whatever they were, and I said, you know, what do you think? They're like, eh, you might be mentally ill, you might not be. Like, a lot of this could be the alcohol and drugs. You clear that up, maybe something to look at might not be. I hung on to that. I'm like, well, I'm going to manage this. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to pray, meditate, have good group. I'm going to do all this stuff, all this maintenance. And when I had these meltdowns, like, again, there was always a reason. Like, this was the first time I was like, man, like, this ain't something's wrong. That was the first time, like, there might be more meat on the bone here. Like, there might be something else to do. So, like, life was fantastic. Go ahead. So you were having the meltdown in Tanklin Park in Singapore. Just sitting there on the bench, hysterical cry in the middle of a basketball game. I was thinking, was that because you, all of a sudden, you thought, you felt very grateful for the life you had? Or was it... Oh, I were... wish. I, I mean, I'm, I'm emotional. I'm an Italian-American. I cry all the time. There's a difference between hanging out. Let's say we go out one night, we're yeah. smoking cigars, and I'm like crying. I'm like, man, I don't think I ever deserve this. Versus like 
the world is caving in underneath my feet like quicksand. I have no idea what's happening and nothing's wrong. Like it's it's a it's like a lot of times it's like thought process first then emotion. Yeah. This was like the emotions had set in before I had even a chance of what was happening. Like 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 something's off. Um that was like the first time that I'm like there may be is there d- deeper issues at the roots maybe still uh so I would say in the like 10 years was just straight up getting sober and doing that stuff the last five years have been way more focused on like like trauma like every therapist I've seen like 25 therapists not 25 sessions like 25 different therapists multiple times trauma comes up a lot recently the like we haven't just seen someone right now so we haven't unearthed that so that is like part of the current recovery scheme is like just and I, I don't know if I've been avoiding it or I don't buy it because again with the accountability I'm like nah nah deal with that stuff that yeah. was 20 years ago stop being a bitch like yeah. I don't know I don't know if it's real or not mental illness I had a buddy that would just speak openly about it he had a, melt, he had a meltdown had a breakdown and this and that very smart guy very successful um, and then I'm like you know this is a powerful guy that could speak about that I'm like let me think about this and you know because of the 20 people I've seen when you go in I've never been they'll give you checklists all this stuff to fill out to try to assess you like 95% of the time it comes back with bipolar and PTSD minimum 95% of the time I have a hard time with that is this are my emotional swings really outside the normal realm or am I just being a baby and unable to cope with life I to this day can't really answer that question with a straight face depends how I feel which is complicated because my freaking emotions change. Like, it's an incredibly mm-hmm. complicated thought process to have. The trauma stuff, use trauma however you want. Like, there's some work to be done there. I'm happy to address it. I, the bipolar stuff, like, there's been times that I spike and there's times that I'm low. Now, you've known me for a decent amount of time. I run hot. I'm always kind of energetic. I'm a little too energetic for a 42-year-old who's not in that good of shape. <laughs> Is that that I'm a tremendous athlete or that I'm just hyped up? Who No one can answer that. Like It's probably somewhere in between. That is less evident than the lows, which are just like crushing, which leads me quickly to the life purpose that I'll put out there because I'm happy to answer like questions because I know I've been giving you like the made-for-TV movie. <laughs> so this is going to sound so silly. So during my lull, I have a lull at one point that lasts like nine months. It was brutal. Was it recent in Singapore? This is in Singapore. This is about 10 years ago. So, that was, it's part of your bipolar swings episodes. Nine months. Dude, at least. I'm at the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, which is the coolest thing I've, with my wife. It is like one of the coolest events. Even though I was depressed to the point that I didn't stop crying for the entire three weeks, still one of the best vacations of my life. That's how awesome the Fringe Festival is. I'm there with my wife and I cannot stop crying. We're in and out of theaters and things and waterfalls and this and that. I, I cannot shake it. For whatever reason, in that period, the thought of death like planted itself in my brain. And that became like a quick, I have to be very careful about even thinking about that. That just started sucking me in. Like, cause, so I go from having a life that mm. I didn't really want to a fantastic life. And I'm like, man, I don't want this to end. Like this is gonna end. Like I, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact this was gonna end. And, and I couldn't shake it. Now, people think about this a lot, that kind of thought, whether they want to admit it or not, it's a different story. So I'm in this thought process, and I can't shake it. And, like, I can avoid it. I can, like, defer myself, but there's this low level, like something's wrong. 
it had gotten to the point that when I got really stressed out or furious with something, I was so grateful because it took my mind away from this thought for five seconds. I was so happy to be like stressed or infuriated because I would take that in a second over this feeling. So, so now I'm like, man, like, because the program I'm in is big on spirituality, right? Yeah. I went through the motions. I didn't Was that really... since the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. That was like, that's since part of like the recovery program. Since when you started in uh, New York? Yes. That's like their shtick. Okay. Like, yeah, you stop drinking, but eventually like you got to, you need like a higher power to remove yes. this stuff. You need, you need something else. No, I didn't disbelieve that, but I didn't buy in. At this point in time, I, I, I bought in out of desperation. Like I joke about this all the time now because I was like, like my uncle was a priest. Like my family kind of fell apart. We were religious. Religion didn't fail us, but let's just say that didn't work out. I had a pretty sour taste for a long time. So coming back in was hard, right? So I joke with people who like are really anti yeah, yeah. And I'm like, listen, I wish I was Ned Flanders. I wish I just believed beyond belief. And I I try to believe. To yeah. me, it's legitimate faith. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm yeah. trying every single day in the hope that it's real. And I'll just keep doing it. Like, You know what I mean? And I get signs and I get feelings and I get some uh, signals. But it's not, it's not like an effervescent thing that I have this constant belief. But anyway, but at that time, I'm like, yo, I got I to gotta double down on this because this is I'm doing everything they're saying. It's not working anymore. And I did not get sober 10 years, have this fantastic life to be freaking depressed all the time. It's ridiculous, you know? So now is when you got to buy into the... So what's my purpose? So I'm... The ultimate... I can't get uh, over this. I can't shake it. I'm like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? I'm praying hard. I'm praying hard. I'm like, there's got to be something. I got... What, is, what am I doing here? Why am I here? What the fuck am I doing here? It's a question everyone asks. But I got the answer for myself. There's too many distractions in life to, to even ask the question. So yeah. I'm studying for the certified internal auditor exam. So obviously my brain is <laughs> blank of anything because it's the stupidest thing you could ever do. It's the most boring exam. We're in Koh Samui, Thailand. Wife's in the back on the hammock. I'm studying for this exam. And it struck me like a lightning bolt, like a lightning bolt. Because I was like, all right, when I was thinking what the purpose could be, it can't be anything because I'm either going to spend my whole life trying to achieve it and not get there and be disappointed, or I'm going to get there and be like, now what? So it can't, it has to be a time agnostic thing. That was, that's the only part I'd come up with logically. So when I was sitting in there, it struck me like a lightning bolt. And for a guy like me, it was like words said to a five-year-old. It has to be at that level for me to never forget it. Hmm. So my purpose to this day, now I'm not saying that won't change, but from that point on, was I want to enjoy as much of my life as I possibly can, and I want to make the world a better place. One of your previous um, uh, potties uh, had spoke a bunch about that second prong, and like yes. my ears perked up a lot, so I was like, ooh. Yeah. Now, they seem way more altruistic than I am, but um, <clears throat> th those are the two prongs. I, I want to try to enjoy my life, and I want to try to make the world a better place, okay? And a lot of times these things get thrown around um, they're kind of like plastic bags nowadays, but uh, I think at, uh, for a purpose, you really need to buy into it. And Have there to. has to be a, a, a time, an episode, uh, a, an act, active uh, agency in that. Oh, yeah. Right. It's not just you're, you're told that you need to make the world a better place. It's just you actually have to. You want to do that. I believe everyone's got their own purpose. So when that, honestly, dude, when that hit... It is. It was like a because now I'm like all right because for me like I need help making decisions. Yeah. So like 
it's so practical because any decision I'm making, meaning if I'm daydreaming in my head about a fight I'm going to have with my boss, which I do like three hours a day, anything I'm doing, if I can remember, now I don't always remember because I'm not always present. A lot of times I'm getting pulled like everybody else, just running through. But when I can take my five minutes, I'm like, all right, is this like, like Aristotle's eudaimonia? Is yeah. this making me that type of happiness? I can't define it, but neither could he, frankly. And he's Aristotle. Is this making me happy? Check. Is this making the world a better place? Check. If it checks both boxes, the right decision 100% of the time. Yeah. If it checks one of the two boxes, I got to think about it. And usually, if it checks neither box, I'm like, well, this is what am I doing here? Like, like the daydream of the argument. It's not making me happy. It's certainly not going to make the world better. Got to go. Now, I can choose to do it anyway. It's on me but it doesn't fit the purpose. This divine message, so I, I don't share it a lot with people because not that I'm afraid to do it, but people have their own things. And if yeah. that's not your thing, I don't want you thinking you have to do this thing. But I will tell you is I have made every single employee, everyone I mentor, everyone I manage, everyone I work with, I've made them do this exercise. Tell me what is your 2023 goals, your five-year goals, and your life goals. And almost every one of them was like, huh? I'm like, just take some time. Take, think it out. Because the, the reason this works fantastic is because my 2023 goals, work setting, I have to do these, right? Yeah, yeah. But they should be leading to my five-year goals. Yeah. Which should fit into my life goals. And if they don't, I got to think about it. What I see happening a lot, and I'm 42, a lot of people... They'll kind of wake up one day and they're they're sprinting, 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 sp doing everything. Then they wake up and look around like, where the hell am I? Because they, they didn't really have a direction. I'm, I'm not judging these people. I feel bad. Like yeah. They're like, I didn't want this stuff. So for me, like where I have the most struggle now as an adult is that my value system does not align with my company's value system. So we're, we're in a constant state of – it's not like – it's like we legitimately don't have the same values. Mm. So I'm like, mm. But the struggle and the discomfort is what makes you think and ponder. And you got to have friction to emerge uh, as, an, as an active um, participant in life to choose one way or another, right? It, so if everything's aligned, you don't have to think. You just follow your fantastic. Path. Right. With this, like, for example, like I'm... If you think about happiness and, and, and what that means to me, by the way, and then, and then making the world a better place, I don't care about money. Like, I want money specifically for something. Like, I want to provide a life, right. this and that, but yeah. I'm not – power, money, these things mean nothing to me. Nothing. People might say that, but a lot of people, it's very important to them. And that's not bad, but just be honest about where you're at. So, like, I don't drink the Kool-Aid. So, if I'm in high finance – there's very few people that think the way I do. So, like, when I'm operating this way, right. I try to look at, like, my company's got their stuff and I got my stuff. Mm. And, like, a Venn diagram. Mm. And when I'm happiest and live in my truth, whatever word is, is cool now, is when I'm in that overlap. Because, mm. really, they can ask me to do whatever they want. I work for them, right? And I'll, as long as it doesn't violate my morals, fine. But if I'm operating, that's why I'm very, very happy. But this applies to anything. And, like I said, but to do that... I need to dedicate time to this every day. If I have a good day, I wake up, I pray every day. I'm not saying I do this. This is the goal. Pray every day, meditate every day, do a gratitude list every day, look back, do an inventory the previous day before I even look at my phone, before I talk to my wife. Mm. I need 40 minutes. 
Now, how many days a week do I get 40 minutes for a few? Uh, I have my mother living with me. I got two kids. I got a very busy life. But that's the goal. So, like, I know where I want to be, where I need to be every day. And on top of that, like, I spend – the more time I'm spending around people who are trying to better themselves, the better my day goes. I need to work my job to get paid. I got two girls in international school, right? I got a house. I got – my wife supports her parents. I help support my parents. These same parents that I told stories about. One lives with me. The other one, they live in my house. Like, my life is fantastic now. But that's that. this is all the recovery. Go ahead. So the, the, the whole story that led to this point fit into this whole life purpose where you discovered. I feel like it's always somewhere on the fringe, but you, you never picked it up until that trip to Thailand. Right, yeah. you're you're studying for the exam. And all of a sudden, it dawned on you that you need to clarify what you're there for. Right, right. So, um, and a lot of it was faith, as you said. It's it. Yeah, it's that played a part, and also um, reevaluating your professional goals and your personal goals. Yeah, I will say one common thread now is like legitimate uncertainty. Like, like I'm certain about that purpose. Like, I don't know why, but I am. Do I have mental illness? I'm kind of uncertain. Like, all signs point to yes, but there's part of me that's like, ah, are you just being a baby? Are you just choosing not to cope with life? Like, like many, many things in my life, I'm not like, I don't have that level of certainty. Like, I, I'm trying to, Yeah. right? And I'm trying to make all the right decisions, but it's very hard. You have a parent, you know, or you know what you're doing, kind of, as a husband, kind of, many, many scenarios. So, like, and I don't know if this is, like, higher thinking now, like, realizing how little I actually know and I can really say for sure. Or if, I don't know if this is just a spot on my journey, but that's, like, I'll give you an example, right? So, we, I work in APAC for a global company, right? APAC in this scenario was like any marginalized community. You name the community, name the scenario. Like, it's just not fair the way we have to work nights, we have to work weekends, no one recognizes us, right? Mm -mm. So, I'm our voice. So, like, I'm on these global calls, and I don't want to sit there and make a fuss every single call, right? But at the same time, I know no one else will. And I know at some points, I got to stick my neck out to kind of benefit these people. Now, am I doing this for myself or for them? I don't know. Is saying this helping them or not? I don't know, right? Like, if I get the reaction I'm looking for, it then I'll feel like, yeah, that was the right decision. But so what if I- you do it? I mean, it's a very common workplace issue always. now. So the meeting oh. just go on. Oh, oh, every time I do it. Yeah. I stick my neck out of heart. This is the point. I, I never stop doing it. The feedback loop I get is at times negative because they don't want to change. They don't want to, like, you know what I'm saying? So then, but I'll judge my behaviors based on the feedback loop rather than, like, my decision-making. And, again, the gentleman that came before said the same type of thing. I wish I could think about it like that. I'm trying to, but it's hard. I'm also, I'm hot-blooded and I'm fucking bipolar. So, like, what state of mind was I in when I said that? Was that the same state of mind I'm going to be in now? Now, by the way, I can't define bipolar for you because I don't exactly know what's going on. The best way I can describe it to you is, like, this is always blue. It's always blue. It could be blue, or it could be blue, or it could be blue. Like, it's hmm. it, that the facts never change. My interpretation of them changes. But my feelings are, it, it's, it's like I said, this is why it's so hard for me to know, like, 
what the next right thing is to do like in that moment and it's just like i'm part of the facts are more constant it's just your perception of it and yeah so you still feel the undercurrent from time to time for sure from the trauma i never think things are going to be okay so i will respond like a wounded dog in many scenarios i'm a good dog but i'm wounded so i'll respond like that and perhaps if i actually had some baseline even though things have been okay for 15 years even longer than that but my guttural instinctual grooves in my brain do not think they're going to be okay this is why i need to work with this individual's lady that i'm working with now like i got to try to unearth some of that stuff because i don't want to respond like that again just to kind of go just a counterpoint and not to be disrespectful at all to what was shared previously struggles make you stronger maybe in my scenario they do but they don't it's not exactly that clean now maybe if my life was normal and i hit struggles as an adult i would have been fully formed to be able to respond to them better but because this happened like too early yeah again this is me speculating i'm not sure back to the uncertainty for my personal scenario i'll tell you one thing though mcgrid i'm like a tool that the more i break the more things i can fix I feel like I've seen it all. Like, I'm broken, physically broken, like, fundamentally, emotionally, you know. But, like, the amount of help that I can provide other people, like, the the amount of people that I help with the fact that I've been broken so many times, like, because my dad would joke around, like, Michael Jordan can't teach you how to play basketball because he's yeah. just like, jump dunk, what's the matter with you? You can't do it. Yeah. It's the guy who stinks who got better. He can tell you every single way you would fail and how you're going to get better. Like, right. that's my scenario. So I'm very grateful. Because I, I know my circle. I know people appreciate what I'm doing for them. But it's just, it's just painful. Like I don't, I'd rather not be broken prior to that. But I, right. I don't see another – for myself, I don't see other way I can be of value. You know, right. That's, that's just, also what makes you unique. And uh, perhaps that's your purpose in life too. It's the, the path, the way you were made. Um, but just a point of that, the Clementi House. Back to the Clementi House. Back to where we begin – what is the street name? Yes, yeah, Primrose Lane. Primrose Lane. Which okay. means like a nice flower, by the way. Primrose Lane, Clementi House. You have your 30, 40 number of buddies. Um, when you go back, you still see them. Um, you mentioned they're not doing so well. You, If I were to imagine you kind of see yourself in them as if you didn't meet the people that came through on your life, you didn't have the opportunities, you you could just be in their shoes at this moment. Hundred percent. Except that I, like I said, because, like physiologically, I am weak. I I would be worse off. Like like the drugs would have killed me faster than other people. My body just I'm not built like that. Like I'm right. just not I'm not strong like that. Mentally, they're not all suicide. Like I would have died. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I'm actually so a lot of series lucky. of fortunate events, but of course mixed with unfortunate ones led to where you are. For sure. I work though. I will say I'm undermining the amount of work I put in. I work very very hard. Um, and my moral compass never changed. Like when they were doing stuff that was not, I was never okay with it. Like I was never, the only ex- exception I would say when I was totally strung out on the, on the drugs, I, there's nothing, I literally would have done anything at any point in time. But other than that, like, I, you know, stuff that people got cool with, I just wasn't cool with. I wasn't then, I'm not now. You know what I mean? Like I can't cross that. Um, I couldn't cross that line. But the Clementi family now? like a miracle so has reformed in it's weird and it's dysfunctional it's broken but like right. it's amazing like and this just happened in the last year or two 
Like everyone's really trying, and it's just like it, to me, it's hysterical. So your dad and your mom are talking now. They sure. talk. My dad's got his wife. My brother, and my mom hadn't talked for five years. My like all of them. Like, if I speak to anyone, they're complaining about the other one for thirty minutes. But it's not like seething hatred and anger. It's so you just can try like, for a Thanksgiving dinner this year. Dude, again. we we've done it. it it's it's been. I can't wait. Um, I will say that just to close, man. I'm blessed. Like it's again the broken tool. Like looking at my brother and sister and my kids, relationship with my wife, like. Every single one of these things, maybe it didn't make me stronger. Maybe I don't better cope, but it certainly made me more helpful to the next person. That, right. like, even when I'm going through some stuff today, even at my lowest, I'm like, I know this is going to help somebody or something. Like, so let's say if, if you were, if you could live a comfortable life without the current job, what would you do? Ooh, Line job? that up with your life purpose oh, with dude, everything so, you've dude, gone so through. so many jobs. There are so many jobs You're, that I would love to do. It doesn't have to be the me. ones that exist today. Just oh, yeah. How would you spend your time fundamentally is what I'm trying to get. Helping people. Because for sure. You could have a you could have a slogan as not saying you are, but you could have a beautiful slogan but how to actually live purposefully yeah, yeah, on yeah. the day to day. Oh God, I would be make out, the world a better yeah, place. I would be out I would be out helping people. So uh oh there's so many ways, dude so many now it depends on all right yeah if i win the lottery yeah okay the plan is the plan not like i'm just making this up now this has already been thought through if i win the lottery i basically want to create like this giant warehouse structure where we take people out of rehab out of prison rehabilitate them educate them and then have like a job training connections with different jobs that can get them back in and just completely give them a path back to life that's that's I'm talking about I have to win like $100 million and I'd have to get government grants to keep it sustained. But that would be the first thing I would so do. So it feels it, it's your way of providing them opportunities. There are yes. sh- doors that are shut by the society. Agreed. Now, don't get yeah. me wrong. Not so there's every- nothing wrong with the existing rehab system. No. Or that was the one that, was the one that got you out of the hole. It, it, rehab is better. The criminal system, th- th- there's a disconnect between getting out and getting a chance. Now, don't get okay. me wrong. That's where it could fix. And also, I feel like from a listener's standpoint, it was also how to get people the help they needed at first, mm. especially when they were in position of um, ignorance, of, of un- unaware of these things, right? It's the HR that called you, picked up the phone. Yes. So um, if your buddies at the Clementi House had these opportunities and resources, it wouldn't probably be where they are today, right? I would say a percentage on that wouldn't. Yeah. It's unpopular. Some people, yeah, they're just not. I think it's a, just a reality of life where people start off in, on different levels. That's right. Given different resources. Everyone's broken in some sense. No one's perfect. Uh, but objectively, their lives that were smoother and then lives that were rougher and, and how to level the playing field. Yeah, I want everyone yeah. to have a fair shot. Equity is incredibly important yeah. to me. What I would say is not everybody, a lot of these people bring it upon themselves, honestly, I hate to say it. And it's like I've met a lot of people that their thought process is like, ooh, you're not a good person. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is not for everybody. Like, so I'd like to be the decision maker, believe it or not, in this yeah. scenario. Putting aside the lottery, yeah. it would be any job where I'm working with people personal trainer because all i'm doing is bsing with them i can impart all this wisdom to them while we're doing some reps it could be a teacher it could be a personal trainer just 
it, the money is totally irrelevant. Any job that I'm constantly around people, mm. that I'm working with them, that I'm talking to them, like, mm. you know, there's a school in Cambodia my wife worked with a couple times. Like, there's so many things. My day would be packed with those exact things, honestly. Uh, don't be wrong, I've been playing some video games and playing some ball. I wouldn't just be help people all day. But I did be a zillion opportunities immediately where I'd be better suited than my current job. The difference is to provide to kind of break the cycle of mental illness and poverty and dysfunction that plagued my family, the job I currently have is going to allow me to do that for now. So mm -hmm. once my younger daughter graduate high school, it's a wrap. So the clock is ticking. I know exactly the amount of money I need, the amount of audits I need to perform. Like this is, this is down to a science. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, mm -hmm. and while I'm at the job, I'm trying to do my best. Shield people, help them out, give them some wisdom, do what I can. Even the people I audit, at least you get an auditor who's not a complete whatever. Mm. You're gonna get a fair shake with me for sure. It's just, it becomes difficult. Like mm. I said, our value systems are so different that I have to keep my thoughts to myself and just understand that seven out of 10 people right, I come right. across yep. are gonna be turned off by me. It hurts my feelings every day, but I just have to remember like I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for this. Easier said Did than done. Did you at any point in your career try to be the person that society expect you to, but not who you really are? So I, I think you come across no, it's a very authentic person. Maybe you just never can't do it. Was ever aware of that? Just I can't do it. This is what, like I told you about that promotion. I can't do it. Like I, it would be so much easier. I can't do it. My mom couldn't do it either. She's a freedom fighter. For all what I mentioned yeah. about her, like it's something like we. I can't do it. Yeah. I, I my view of right and wrong. I hope it's right. Is just incredibly defined. Always has been. You know. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can't. I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Yeah. Okay. So um, I guess coming to the nearing the end of the podcast, I want to ask you maybe the last question on Please. your role as being a father, which is <sighs> love it. Yeah. What what you're most proud of um, as you're on this path of um, sending your daughter to school, you know, building a family you wanted, um, or even looking back to when you started this family. Are you raising your children with any any specific end goals in mind or any ways uh, that, that were different from the way you, you were raised? Or how did your life experience inform your role as being a husband or father mm. in uh, raising the next generation? What I will say is, like, I told that story, but, like, honestly, like, I have no negative thoughts toward my parents today. So even coming yeah. out sounds weird. What I've... The paradigm that shifted is from like, oh, this is what I'm not going to do, like what my parents did, to more like, what did they do? Like, like, and they did a ton of stuff, and I can yeah. pick that. There's stuff I don't want to avoid, but there's a ton that they did um, that I want to pick up. Um, it's different than my house, but me and my wife are both active, and we have a helper, and we have parents. Like, we had everything you can imagine. Like, she works hard. We work hard, but we have opportunities. For them specifically, I'm trying to do my best to give them what they need. My daughters are completely different. So even the way that I discipline them has to be incredibly different. I'm the disciplinarian in the house. Like, you know, but I'm not here to be your friend. I'm trying to prepare you for life. Like, you know what I mean? So it's what I do for them is I'm trying to project out what's going to be best for them. Right now, they're going to have to make their own decision about what they want in life. Okay. So I'm on one hand, I'm trying to set them up for success. But at the same time, I bring them into the decision-making process all the time. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll give you a couple examples of like, like my daughters are mature. 
So when they F around and something goes wrong, there's consequences, mm. right? But you know who messes up? This guy all the time. So I've multiple situations where like, let's say I yelled at them because I was having a bad day and I just, I yelled at them, right? Once I calm down, I'm like, ooh, I bring them both in the room. Girls, you know what? Daddy made a mistake. Big problem. You didn't do anything wrong. What's daddy's consequences? You tell me what I did. You tell me what the consequences are for me. They'll come up with the craziest stuff. But my one girl's like, yeah, I get to control treats for a year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm not gonna do that again. Mm-hmm. But like, my point is, like, I want them, I want them plugged in. Now, mm-hmm. I have good kids. Every parent loves their kids. I really, really think my daughters are the best. So, like, like I have them involved, like in all aspects of what we do, and like kind of like trying stuff. There's certain stuff you have to do. You gotta learn how to swim. You don't have to do sports. You gotta, you gotta do something. Mm-hmm. You can't be sitting around all day. But like, so I try to bring them in. I'll close with this. This is the plan as of today. I, mean, mm. I apologize if I told you this already. So. People talk about finances and this, this, and that, and what do they want to do. Like, I don't know what my girls want to do, right? Mm. But I know they're mature. So the plan is at 14, 15, depending on where they're at, to let them know, yo, this is what's happening when you turn 18. When you turn 18, you're each getting 100 grand, period. I've done the research. You could go to school for four years with 100 grand, okay? Now, you can do whatever you want with that money. You could drop it in a mutual fund, 6% return. 8% 8% return, you have two and a half million dollars when you retire. So you actually never have to invest a penny. That'll be done for you, and you just work a job day to day, knowing it's taken care of, option one. Option two, go to Thailand, blow it all on hookers. I don't know what the hell you want to do. Like, this is your money. Mm. Option three, you could probably get maybe one year of a legit university, maybe even a semester at that point, like a really top-end school. A hundred grand each? Yes. Okay. After that, you're going to have to get a scholarship or something. I ain't paying five mm. years of Ivy League. I went to City College. Mm. and provided this life to you. Make it work. Put some freaking work in. You know what I'm saying? This I'm a big guy. You could go to U.S. for a mm. year, establish residency, which the hub you do. Go to a fantastic state university for way less than that room or no problem. Or anything in between. You want to start a business. 100 grand's not nothing. Mm. You want to start something up, give it a shot. But then you're on your own. So you can start thinking now at 14, what do I want to do in four years? Mm. Plenty of time. Now, they're girls. Frankly, a little bit more mature than boys. But so that to me, like, I don't know what they want, but I want to equip them with something. So you've been trained in my house. You're going to have good behavior, good manners, good etiquette. Here's some money, good education. Knock it out. Do whatever you got to do. But like now, if they come back pathetic, will I give them money? I don't know. But that's an example of like me setting a foundation rather than dictating the path. But then mm-hmm. also giving them ideas. They're not supposed to know everything. They can't know what my life was. They can't get life experience that I had living out here. A fantastic life. So. I'm trying to impart it to them on the way. So I don't know if that, that's an example of like how I'm trying to set them up without necessarily like micromanaging the whole thing. Right. You need to strike strike a balance in between. Try to. Yeah. Like you said before too, it's not always that the struggles, the the downfalls make you stronger. You gotta strike the sweet spot in the between as well. Yeah. If your life is too smooth, you don't know how to live under normal conditions, right? Because there weather is in the world. But if your life is always so unfairly punished, let's say, or things taken away from you that were that were given to other people, then you also kind of come out broken in a way that in this state of society is harder to help you out. So hopefully let's leave that on a hopeful note for a better and fairer future. And uh, thank you very much, Tony, for your time and today. 
Thanks, man. I yeah. appreciate the time and uh, always good to chat with you, man. Hopefully this was helpful in some capacity. Uh, we learned a lot about you. All right. Yeah. Thank you. I got it, man.